Hey, science fans. One thing we don't get to talk about enough on this show is environmental concerns, ecology, resources, that sort of thing. I wish we we had more on, on this topic on the show. Fortunately, I found a new podcast that I believe you guys will enjoy called Waterline. Waterline podcast is everything related to water, how to make sustainable irrigation, can water bring peace, how do you uh, keep water clean and and safe and how much money does does our current water system cost in the US what changes can we make and how we use water i just listened to a fantastic episode called water in peace hydropolitics it was all about um, the many different conflicts over different regions of water we've drawn all of these arbitrary lines for our kind of political regions and one thing that we didn't really factor in when doing that was water sources so now there's all of these uncomfortable to say the least conflicts uh, where all of these areas overlap over water sources fantastic episode the waterline podcast is an initiative of israel new tech a part of the israeli ministry of economy and industry so check it out for everything you need to know about the economics political social behavioral technological and environmental aspects of water search for waterline podcast on itunes or in your android podcast app today on the podcast we're going to be talking a whole lot about what motivates us and what drives us this is the kind of thing that the here we are podcast is all about i'm so happy that you tuned in today especially because this is the sort of stuff the sort of research that we've explored some in the past i mean different different aspects of it but we're going to keep on exploring more and more and more in the future this is the sort of stuff that i hope uh, you guys are coming away with little bits of uh, information that you're able to retain, little nuggets and takeaways that potentially you're able to share when you're hanging out with people, and that will make for a little more interesting conversation. But ultimately, these little ideas that will hopefully spread around, hopefully get more attention in the media and everything else, and lead to people having more uh, fulfilling uh, and productive and happy lives and in an efficient way without having to consume ourselves into an apocalypse, finding little bits of kind of life hacks, understanding what truly motivates us, the difference between what we think is going to make us happy and what we think is going to motivate us and what will truly make us uh, happy and fulfilled or at least our best guess at it at the time until new research shows otherwise. But uh, the reason why I wanted to um, go uh, do a, a little bit of an intro um, today is because speaking of motivation, which is something that I wish that I had more of, I, I, I'm sometimes I go in, in such an anhedonic funk that I just cannot find pleasure in anything I don't want to do this podcast, which I love. I don't want to do it. I don't want to, I don't want to spend the time to find guests. I don't want to do the research. I just cannot muster the energy, uh, to do it. Last year I had some, uh, I had a, a lot of big ups and then some huge downs where I just, I thought I was going to, I was just kind of 
decided I didn't want to be in the spotlight anymore. I kind of wanted to just go and get some normal job or get an education and be a normal um, person. And the reason why I don't and I never will is because I know you guys are out there listening and that motivates me. I wish I didn't need uh, anything to motivate me other than just wanting to do something. I wish I could just be like, hey, you want to do this podcast? Go out and do all the work to do it and put it out there. And who cares what the feedback is and listeners uh, or number of listeners or whatever. But that stuff means a lot to me. And knowing that and seeing all of the wonderful comments that I get from you guys and wonderful reviews and everything else and seeing that the listenership uh, keeps on slowly increasing, meaning you guys are spreading the word uh, for me. Uh, it just means so much to me and I just really, really appreciate it. And, uh, uh, and the, the main thing that I appreciate is that it really gives me hope. Uh, there's just, I get frustrated. I get frustrated with humanity more than I wish that I did. Uh, I get frustrated with myself too, but there's just so much mindless garbage out there that I find it's just so, uh, discouraging and knowing that there are people out there listening to this show, which I am not smart enough to host. I have, I have no business hosting this show. I'm a bad student. I never paid attention in school. Some of these people are so much smarter than I am. And, and, and obviously whatever, uh, whatever topic they're researching, they know so much more about than I could ever hope to. And to know that you guys are, are out there listening and and uh, and smart enough to <laughs> retain all of this stuff, which I I oftentimes am not retaining half of what I'm learning on this show. But clearly, uh, you guys are keeping up with it because you keep on tuning in and you keep on listening, and that gives me so much hope. Um, and so I just want to thank you. That's all. I've met so many of you now after shows and got to meet you face to face, and uh, and. It's just, it's just awesome, uh, that it's, it's a really cool thing knowing, uh, that there's like-minded people out there. It, it makes me feel, um, more hopeful, less lonely, more motivated and more fulfilled. And so you guys are terrific. And I, I really hope you enjoy this episode and can, can really implement some of these things into your life, maybe into your workplace and whatever aspects of life. So that's all. Enjoy today's episode. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I have assistant professor at UCLA, Anderson, uh, author of the new book, Honors Versus Money, The Economics of Rewards. Yana Gallus is joining me today. Thank you, Yana. Thank you for having me. So, first off, I have a little something for you. Actually, I have, I have, a. do I have it on me? Yep. Look at this. I have a gold star for you. Oh, wow. I'll have to put that up in my office. Oh, 
a tiny gold it's star. A t- it's a very Even tiny. Even better. It's, it's like a, a very sticker tiny, gold star. Perfect. Yeah, I, I actually walk around with little tiny gold stars in my wallet. Since and you about write the book. Once a, no, no. I just normally, I'm familiar with, uh, with, <laughs> with the incentive of, of rewards. And uh, once a month or so, someone get, they're very special. I don't just give them out to anybody. Someone has to do something <laughs> awfully special. But you wrote a book about rewards and uh, being good incentives. And so you get a gold star. Look, there's only three gone off. Wow. Of it took my girlfriend two years to get a gold star. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, and she now- was, <laughs> and you got one uh, immediately within minutes. Thank so you. So you're Thank you really ahead really of the curve. Um, I put it up here, right? Like a label pin. Yes, yeah, exactly. Okay, fits. <laughs> um, so uh, let's let's talk about this a little bit. There, there is a. I don't know if this is especially in America, but it's probably worldwide. The the I, I think the common um, uh, uh, the common uh, if. You, incentives for people is money that is money makes the world go around this is everyone i mean if you kind of ask everyone if they'd rather have a gold star or a raise uh i'm sure that they would they would normally say that they would rather have a raise but there's a there's a lot of research that that shows that money isn't always the best way to incentivize uh work correct right that is actually indeed right where my research starts. So, of course, monetary incentives and monetary rewards are um, extremely important in our economy, mm-hmm. needless to say. But um, there's a lot of research showing the limitations of monetary incentives. And that is specifically that they can lead to crowding out, for example, of intrinsic motivation. So people who've been doing an activity because they liked it, the intrinsic motivation was given, they are being paid to do it, and then that motivation is being crowded out, so to say, replaced by the monetary incentive. Once you take that away, then you might no longer see that behavior forthcoming. Mm. The other type of crowding out is reputational crowding out, reputational motivations, where you care about your image. And I mean, it's specifically called image motivation crowding out. Um, where you care about your reputation, what others think of you. So imagine you're a volunteer who spends his leisure time um, helping children, right? Not getting anything for it. All of a sudden you start getting paid and your friends or observers might then wonder why you're actually in it, right? So they might question your underlying motivations right. and um, intent. So those are crowding out um Phenomena that are important and that limit monetary incentives in certain under specific conditions. And other than that, you also risk when promising monetary incentives in particular, making them explicit, you risk inducing what is called multitasking, which is when, um, for example, your workers, assuming you're a manager, you start handing, you start explicitly defining what they have to do to earn a given, let's say a bonus. And then you'll find them doing exactly that. The problem is they'll be focused on that those activities that earn them the bonus and become less aware of other activities that are maybe less measurable, but they are certainly that are not included in the performance criteria. So you risk them shifting their entire focus to those activities that are being compensated for that you ask them to perform, right? It's just the problem that some activities you can't include in those performance criteria and they might no longer be forthcoming. That makes a lot of sense. I uh, and I 
I, this is something that I think about all the time being a comedian. <laughs> you know, I got into this uh, doing stand up and I started this podcast just as, as something that I wanted to do, mm-hmm. you know, so following my passion. And, and then once you start attaching money to it, it's the money's nice and everything, like, and it's nice to be able to make a living doing what you sure. love, but then you turn what you love into work, and then it becomes less what you love and what you now what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And then there's all these additional pressures, and you don't have as much freedom as you used to have. So yeah. the autonomy is extremely important. So you lose part of your sense of autonomy. You feel like you're being directed or under control, mm-hmm. somehow steered by those necessities to earn money or to yeah, to make money. Mm-hmm. And that can replace the intrinsic motivation. Um, yeah, like I used to be able to get on stage and just try out whatever material and I didn't care if it did well or not and because of that freedom the the things mm-hmm. that would do well went really well um mm-hmm. and things that bombed bombed and who it didn't ultimately matter because I would be able to collect these better the the better jokes of mine and eventually put them together for you know TV appearance set mm-hmm. or whatever it might be and then once you are are then being paid to be you know people are paying money at the door and there's there's just a lot more pressure than mm-hmm. you need to make sure that every mm-hmm. joke is landing you can't be as experimental and as creative mm-hmm. and so some of that side of it suffers uh, a, a little bit and that's i mean that's just not to just use my one job as an example but uh i can i can identify yeah, with all very of interesting this. now may i ask you sure. what made you want to become a comedian was it the money the well i think that uh no not the money no, at right? all so, because yeah. i was like eight or nine years old oh. and <laughs> it was around the age when everyone was decided like i want to be a surgeon or a fireman <laughs> or whatever or an astronaut and uh none of those things seemed appealing <laughs> to me uh i couldn't think of any job that seemed appealing to me in fact and i had a friend that told me that i should be a comedian and i was like that sounds like a fun job and i just it's one of those things I got in my head when I was young and foolish enough to still have dreams. And so I was, uh, it just got in there and, and never left and ended up pursuing it. And, uh, and, and yeah, it wasn't, it was never, it's still not about the money. It's mm-hmm. just now it is my sole source of income. And so I need to eat and mm-hmm. pay rent. Mm-hmm. And so there are, there's definitely additional pressures. Mm-hmm. So trade-offs you're facing and And then sometimes things go really well and then I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be able to buy a tour bus and have a bigger house and blah blah blah. (laughs) Or a house rather than an apartment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh and then and sometimes that uh that does seem appealing. Um but then that that always hinders my creativity and Mm. and uh yeah, the 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 passion driven the all everything the jokes that i put together out of passion because i like them are always much better than well this will get a laugh so i'll get paid this night mm. yeah yeah that's interesting yeah mm. so there's there's a nice concept called obliquity how certain things are achieved better when you aim for them not directly mm. there's a book by sir john k with the same title obliquity and it seems a little bit like you try to force a joke that in that somehow makes it even more difficult to 
I mean, I'm not a comedian, obviously, no. but I could imagine that it makes it a lot more difficult to actually come up with a quality, with a high quality or a really good, profound joke, right? When yeah. you try to to cater to the audience. Yeah, it, very mm. much so. So, what what's the concept? Obliquity. Yeah, it's so certain things. So, for example, let's say you were to pursue a positive social reputation. Mm-hmm. Now, as soon as you start aiming for that goal directly and people will notice you directly defeated the goal right because people will see that you're only doing this in order to get this positive social reputation so you're only helping out because you want the reputation there are other aspects so it goes way beyond that some would argue maybe even happiness that you should focus more on the process and not the ultimate aim yeah happiness is a tricky one to I mean that's that is that's kind of setting yourself up for failure a little bit too when you're just like I just want to be happy. <laughs> uh, good luck with that. Yeah, right. That's a never-ending pursuit anyway. So, do you feel like your research has helped you personally to figure out some of your drives and motivations and and helped you focus on the process in your work? Do you oh, feel yeah. like you're uh motivated by more by passion and these other uh these other incentives certainly so yes by passion it's liberated me to do to work although it you know i have to say it even so i'm from germany originally mm-hmm. and um we'd say arbeit which has this strong labor intensive connotation almost like manual physical labor and when i say in particular when i talk in german and i'd say um I go to work. It sounds for me like, no, I'm not going to work. I do what I want to do right now. Right. So it's, it, it's even weird to call this work because I like it so much. That's fantastic. So yeah, no. And the research, I have this freedom to pursue these questions that I find intriguing. And you always stumble upon new questions. And then the difficulty is deciding which ones to pursue first and how to so it's it's great it's also challenging of course and i will say of course there are extrinsic incentives that are not directly monetary but for example journal publications are extremely important for us and mm. that to some extent is yeah comes close to an equivalent of a monetary incentives that of a monetary incentive right where um it may it risks attracting too much attention mm. potentially right so what got you into this? What got you interested in this? this oh, great field? question. You mean the, the, the awards? And um, yeah, yeah so, so it really started out with this recognition that mo- monetary incentives have these, and monetary incentives is what we as economists have mostly focused on. And then there's convincing a, a large body of research showing the limitations of these monetary incentives, some of the, whom, some of those limitations I've just mentioned. And then I, thought, well, which alternatives do we have then in contexts also where, for example, um, public goods provisions, provisions, so or voluntary work, the voluntary sector, just to name an example, where you want to support people's existing motivations and you can't directly or you can't necessarily use money because you risk crowding it out for all of those reasons. Or maybe you just have a budget constraint that makes it impossible for you to pay everybody for the work they are doing. And yet you want to support people's motivations, existing motivations. So I was, in fact, I, yes, I do study incentives that you promise ex ante, but I'm very particularly interested and much of my research has in fact looked at ex post rewards that you get once you've actually performed well. And then the question is, 
does that f further increase your motivation to keep going and maybe even aim for the next goal, next higher goal? Or as, as you might think, well, once you've achieved it, why should I continue to exert effort? So it's more in this tradition of supporting people's existing motivations. And then, of course, well, you observe awards everywhere. So distinctions, recognition, public recognition in particular. And um, it's funny that when you, as you rightly said, when you ask people, would you rather have a pay raise or an award? Surely they'll tell you I'd rather have the money, right? But the That's the part about recognition that is one part that is so interesting. If you, well, sure, if I tell you I wanted the, the gold star that you just gave me and you gave it to me, well, I defeated the purpose, right? Because right. I asked you to. So, um, and I do think that's something that still would, that I would love to do research on, that there's something about, yes, people honestly say I don't care so much about recognition. Maybe they are even honest and wouldn't opt for it. But once you've experienced it, that it's a kind of an experience good that makes you somewhat hooked or at least that 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 has a stronger impact on your motivation and your your sense of purpose also in what you're doing then you would have even expected go thinking about it in abstract terms it's something you have to experience hmm. so in terms of having having done a job well um increasing the likelihood of of motivating people mm -hmm. as as a motivator Uh, I started getting back into rock climbing again recently, mm. and this is something that every every route has a different grade level mm -hmm. on it, and um, and so it's, it starts with like V zero, then V one, and V two, V three, and uh, and so you'll you'll finish all of the all of the twos, and then start moving toward the threes, and the threes are hard, and you and and when you're accomplishing a new three that that uh you know that you don't get any money reward or any in mm -hmm. fact you're paying um, yeah. <laughs> for this and uh and but then when you kind of um go back and you don't get the same you, you were doing v3s and then there's a day when you can't do any you're only doing v2s or you're back doing v1s because you're sore or whatever it's it's a little discouraging and that is an interesting i had never thought about the rock climbing example but it's really it's interesting it's on the one hand you want to see your progress right mm -hmm. like a theory of small steps and progress markers you want to feel like you're advancing um and then it's also funny because you essentially with those labels you have a clear-cut hierarchy that yeah. is not ambiguous as to what is better And sure, you want to rise in the hierarchy. You don't want to think like you're losing your status, which is very similar. You could even talk about loss aversion here, right? You don't want to lose your status that you see this used in the field also with awards very prominently. I find the example of Yelp interesting, um, where you become a Yelp elite for a given year. Of course, well, if I'm a Yelp elite, 2017, I will want to make sure that I'll be the Yelp elite 2018. Otherwise, I lose my status, right? In other words, by pegging this to a year, you clearly mark that I stand at a risk of losing whatever I've achieved. Similar to the rock climbing, right? right. You'll have to, to again, prove to yourself, even if it's just to yourself. And that, by the way, there's a really nice paper by George Lowenstein on, um, it's called, I think I the title is Because It's There, <laughs> about why would you go through this, this, um, ordeal of climbing a mountain with all the hardship 
on you. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's a, I, I really enjoy that <laughs> paper. In case the readers are interested, they should definitely look it up. I know this from marathons. So I run marathons and clearly it's the sense of achievement that totally gets me hooked. I would love to run more, but I limit myself to one a year because I know it's just not the best thing for your, your body, right. for your joints to do. Although I never had issues afterwards, but I know I shouldn't stretch it too far. Yeah, it is because, I mean, if you were uh, maybe, say, an alien observing someone on a track, like, wait, <laughs> they just ran all the way around in a circle to end right where, right where they started or... Yeah. Or me climbing up a mountain just to go back down again, right. not to not to actually go anywhere, but I just end up right back where I started. Right. And you do this by volition. It's not that your rock is rolling down again and you have to lift it up again and then it rolls down, right? And then An I analogy? look for harder ways to get up the... Right. <laughs> like, Wonderful. Oh, well, that that's too easy. That yeah. was too easy for me to get up there. I'm going to look for a harder way to get up. Yeah, that's... we do like challenges and progress, right? Mm. Go- achieving goals, setting ourselves goals. It's it's interesting that the the hedonic treadmill doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't it's not just money it's it's yeah. everything. Yeah, I would even go farther than that, but uh, I, this is not research backed. But I would think that monetary incentives to a large, but with the caveat love- that this is not based on research, but. Um, that monetary incentives to a large extent have this power or this people care so much about them because it's again it's a status signal mm-hmm. right i mean at least the goods that you can purchase also it's it's one dimensional so it's very easy to compare how you are faring compared to somebody else as soon as you know the number although it might be a completely misleading and erroneous um, comparison that you're drawing still it allows you to somehow gauge how good you are at what you're doing Right, and I think that is a large part why I can see this being so motivating. Yeah, it is. It's sometimes um, if you're if you're say not doing guided meditation, you're just doing meditation on your own. From day to day, it's a little hard to be like, did I get better at meditating yeah. today? <laughs> like, it's very right, difficult yeah. to see if you made progress or something. Like I, today, I'm slightly more mindful than I was yesterday. Like, what does that even mean mm-hmm. exactly? It's a hard, it's a hard thing to put your finger on. Yet people are still motivated to uh, meditate, but I, mm-hmm. I find so. Um, a better incentive is I use a guided meditation app called Headspace and they have little rewards for, you know, you have a 10 day streak or something like that Mm -hmm. and you get a little reward for, for having completed that or, or, um, you know, I have my girlfriend on there as well. And so we can compare with, with one, one another and (laughs) see who has the longest streak going. Funny in particular, because the underlying activity you're talking about is meditation. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So this is about like trying to get away from wanting and Uh and, and and being okay with, uh, I want to, I want to want less. (laughs) (laughs) I want to want less than other people. (laughs) And then you start comparing yourself again on that dimension. Do I want less than you? (laughs) it's it's inescapable Uh uh-huh yeah no that's an interesting i should look into this app but you were mentioning the streak this is another example that i like very much you see on different um interfaces um where people share code also that they visualize the number the days that you've contributed open source code with let's say a green dot on github for example you see that you have this visualization where you then can see on which days you've been active and people care about their streaks and particularly not losing those streaks 
Um, you know, now that I've made a hundred days with no interruption, I have to make sure that sure. I get this day, which can also, and this is an important point. It's not just that monetary incentives can backfire. Non-monetary incentives, incentives in particular, ex-ante-promised incentives that you know exactly what to do in order to achieve it can also backfire. It could crowd out your motivation just the same as as mo as monetary incentives can, right? When you then start focusing on getting the next green dot or the next star and you no longer focus on why you're actually doing it and want to do it, right? Mm. So yeah, I was, I was going tremendous. to ask if you could clarify a little bit when you talk about crowding out. I've yeah. actually never heard this concept before. Mm. What what are you re referring to exactly? So, so rather than... Um, a more holistic like appreciating the process and all of that you're you're kind of crowding out the the whole and focusing too much on very specific so you're essentially yeah thanks for the question um so this is based also on a long-standing research research in psychology and then i would say starting in the 2000s in in economics there's been really interesting work um, empirical work um, the concept essentially means that you, you've been doing something because you liked it. So your intrinsic motivation was given. And then this intrinsic motivation, this inner motivation gets replaced by the extrinsic motivator, which in the oftentimes would be money. And, um, you will no longer be doing this because you are, you really desire to do it, but your motivation was just replaced. Mm. And then, you can still find a price effect that if you pay enough, then people might still be doing even more than they were initially. Um, I'll give you an example in a moment. But um, once you take away the extrinsic incentive, then the performance or effort provision would drop even below the level where it was before. So in a sense, you've, you've introduced it and it's not innocuous in the way, oh, well, if it doesn't work, we'll just take it away. You've indeed partly destroyed that part of intrinsic motivation. Um, an example you mentioned, um, being a comedian, right? That is one, or you could imagine, um, a child practicing the violin, right? And then, and there you see it, how it can even work with non-financial incentives. And then you tell the child, well, you'll get a star or you'll get, I don't know, a dollar for each piece that you practice. And you'll see the child indeed practicing more. The question is, does the child still like it and actually enjoy it? And once you no longer, when you say, okay, I think now you're quite good, let me just remove that monetary incentive. You no, long, no longer need it. Just go on practicing. You seem to like it. You may find that the child stops mm. practicing um, with that much rigor. Of course, there can be also some, you can't, it's, that's why it really the conditions matter and we have to do research on that. You can also find that they actually acquire that taste for, for practicing the piano and go on. It's just that it's not, it's not clear cut that when you offer monetary incentives, you will find higher mo motivation, increase, an increase in motivation. And then you take it away and it's just where you were before. Also, you send signals. There's a nice paper also, um, that where you, sh where, where it's shown by Urignisi and Rustichini, they show that it's called pay enough or don't pay at all. How not choosing the amount at a right, not choosing the right amount backfires because essentially you're sending a signal of how much worth this activity is to you or to the organization, right? And if it, if you pay a cent, that's more of an insult than than um than any not paying anything than not paying anything right and but standard economic theory would say well a cent is better than than nothing right <laughs> but it is the signal that then counts an mm. adverse signal
Yeah. Yeah. That happens to, uh, mm-hmm. often in comedy where I'm like, well, I'd rather you not pay me than pay me this insulting amount of mm-hmm. money. Uh, I'm a professional comedian, mm-hmm. you know, but I do shows for fun for free all of the time. Um, I, um, I forget why I was just going to say, uh, it, it is interesting how, uh, how, how much all of the, how many different motivations there can be in a given activity. Like I started doing CrossFit again recently and, uh, people will talk about the high that they get afterwards. You know, I have like a runner's high or something (laughs) and, and, uh, you know, go on and on about it. I'm like, well, these people have clearly never done a drug before because that would, <laughs> it would knock their socks off. Um, but, but, but there's, it's not just that it's not just about the amount of dopamine or whatever that you're getting in the, it, 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 you know, from the brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you, if you say do a drug, you're not really accomplishing anything. And it's really, really mm-hmm. a rather easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you are going to CrossFit, you are maybe putting on a little more weight than you did the time before. And, and there's all of these other, so not just, you're not just getting the endorphin rush. You're getting all of these. You're also getting to socialize with friends and mm-hmm. you're getting all of these other motivations. The, it, what, there has to be a lot of pitfalls with a lot of this stuff as well. You see people, I mean, we're, we're, uh, we're highly addictive, um, creatures. We get it. We can, humans can get themselves addicted to running and video mm-hmm. games and TV and most anything. And wor- people are workaholics. Um, is there, have you in your work found any, um, is there like any kind of cautionary tales about using rewards too much or a, a given incentive too much? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you've been talking about some of it, but, but just in terms of um, people then having kind of a very unhealthy pursuit mm-hmm. of a goal. Yeah. So I would not dare make a normative statement about how much you should be running i think that we'll have to leave to the individual right sure it's but it is certainly if if you are in a managerial position for example and you try to steer behavior and you um encourage people to with even if it's just positive feedback you encourage your workers to put in the extra hour and they do so and well i couldn't you're not forcing them right so Addiction, I do see the point. I myself, I would think that I I am addicted to running, right? But it's completely, that's my own problem, right? It's a or problem or it's good. It depends on how you, that's why I said I don't make a normative statement on that. It's maybe we're just meant to, to create certain also habits, right? And want to challenge ourselves. But then I wouldn't, the, the, the caveat is that as soon as you introduce certain incentives, um, or even rewards and just praise somebody for doing something you may, might influence the direction of their activities. Whether that's good or not, that's the other question, of course. What kind of what kind of uh, rewards have you seen used that that kind of surprised you that were um, more effective than someone might think as especially mm-hmm. as an economist? Yeah, so 
Yeah, especially as an economist, I could tell you a lot. Of, um, but yeah, to draw on back on a study that I ran, it's a field experiment. And um, I conducted this in Wikipedia, where you have millions of people voluntarily contributing content and editing the encyclopedia for free, right? So they don't get anything for this. And that's already an interesting puzzle. Why do they do this, right? But then the next step was they face a severe challenge, which is editor retention. So keeping those people motivated for various reasons that I won't go into now. Otherwise, we'll, we'll need a second episode. <laughs> it's super fascinating, this entire community. But that being said, they face retention issues, keeping people motivated. And um, I saw this problem and then um, collaborated with senior Wikipedians um, and was lucky enough that they were willing to lend me their reputation and test in, an, in a cleanly designed field experiment whether you could use a purely symbolic award that has no meaning in the offline world to motivate newcomers to continue their activity, to increase newcomer retention, in other words. And mind you, people on Wikipedia who contribute, they use pseudonyms. So I would be economist123. You would not know that I'm Jana Gallus. And hence, if, I, if you give me an award that is tied to this pseudonym online in a community that I haven't even really joined yet, I just became active for the first time in the previous month, uh, you think that doesn't really mean a lot, right? There is also no face-to-face -face interaction. I don't know. Those are not my peers yet. Um, I don't necessarily identify strongly with the pseudonym that I've just picked. And yet what I show is um, in this field experiment, so I randomize who gets the award in order to be able to cleanly identify the causal effect. Um, because, of course, if then afterwards, after receiving the award, I observe that there are performance differences between the two groups, the ones who got the award, the ones who did not, the control group, then this difference can only be explained by the fact that some randomly received the award and the others did not. And I do find that this purely symbolic award increased their retention by 20% in the following month. And also, what is very interesting is that this effect persists. So this difference continues to be statistically significant for the year following this initial award bestowal, which is if you compare this to studies on monetary incentives that are also used in a gift-giving context where the money is given by surprise, this is a huge difference. I mean, monetary incentives don't have so much of a long-lasting effect and um, on ex-post behavior. And these awards, this recognition, I also have qualitative evidence from people's reaction to receiving this award as to how they were, how much they were moved by getting this award and this recognition for their efforts because they've really exerted a lot of effort to contribute and um, they felt extremely valued. Some of them went on to do, to take essentially the next, um, what was the B grade to go to C, you know, to in the Wikipedia world. So they would, they would have started just making some minor edits here and there. And then because they got this recognition and this acknowledgement that what they are doing is seen by others and considered really good or considered a valuable addition, they went on to create their first own article, which is quite an achievement. So, you know, it even, shifted their direction of their contributions and made them more um not ambitious but made them um go to the next take the next step and make even more contributions what happens once people um kind of normalize or, or get desensitized to a given reward or when mm. when the rewards start mm -hmm. stop coming in um mm -hmm. at, at a at a workplace you know you might have won the 
trip to Hawaii one year, but then the next year you don't. Mm-hmm. What what happens in mm-hmm. in yeah, those cases? That's an important an important point. So on let me say on the one hand with awards you have this inherent limitation that you can't hand out too many or otherwise they are not worth anything so i'm glad to see i saw that you only handed out three stars before so i feel (laughs) out of i don't know maybe 25 so i feel extremely honored (laughs) you know so it's this status good ultimately it's still a positional good and if it if you give it to everybody there's no status involved anymore and it's not special anymore there's no signal in other words that this sentence right if everybody has this award that's why to some extent when i look into when i came to the us and i came from switzerland where you have where um at least public officials are prohibited from accepting awards orders that for other reasons if you want to i'm more than happy to talk about this yeah, in a do. moment um so i came from switzerland where you have you do have awards, but it's very limited, the number of awards compared in particular to the US. So here you go into a school and I don't know. I mean, I didn't, I, I don't have children or so. So I have no idea how many awards they do get, but you have these stars everywhere mm. and um, in other fields as well, of course, in the US. So we are in LA. You have awards in the arts in the cultural sector but the point being back to this inflation in a sense which is dif- which is risky if you are in a, in a well-defined organization or in a well-defined group and you start handing out too many awards if there are only 10 people and you hand out five awards each season obviously that then the non-recipients might receive perceive this more strongly as a negative signal than the recipients would actually enjoy getting the award. So there's clearly something that I'm also now working on with Bruno Frey in Switzerland on the optimal number of awards, right? How many awards should you be handing out in a given organization and what conditions does this depend on? Um, yeah, and that, so because you have to keep the number of awards limited, that ties your hands somewhat um, if you want the awards to continue to be meaningful. So you, you'll you not be able to hand out so many, not as many maybe as you might, not as frequently as you can hand out bonuses. That being said, if we do more research also on empirically on the treatment effect persistence and we confirm this result that awards have an effect that lasts for one year after it was received, then you also don't need to hand out that many. And also there's another really interesting, um, if you look into organizations, you'll see how they manage to diversify their award schemes. So everybody always, when I say I do research on awards, people in the corporate world think of this, the salesman of the month, right? Which is accompanied by the trip you were mentioning <laughs> oftentimes. Right. But that is for me the least interesting award because this really, we call this a confirmatory award it really just confirms the already established hierarchy in terms of who's the best salesperson. And people know exactly which criteria to fulfill in order to receive it. So in other words, it's very, it goes to the person earning the highest bonus. It's really not a great um, complement, in other words, to the financial incentive system. It is still an incentive because people want to be the best salesperson, but it's very similar in what it achieves uh, uh, to monetary incentives. So you go into the office, into this insurance firm, for example, you'll see a ranking on the wall and you can directly, you'll see automatically who will receive this award. So there's a high degree of 
of, of automatism, automaticity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, which means that the giver doesn't signal any, anything specifically about a social bond between the giver and the recipient or the organization and the recipient. It's more like a contract, right? You, you will get this award because you've done what we asked you to do. Now, the award type that I'm interested in are discretionary awards, which are oftentimes given by surprise, oftentimes after something was achieved and even in, under conditions where you cannot ident- or define ex ante and then measure ex post how well somebody has performed. It's just clear that somebody exerts a lot of effort and is always there for the others and jumps in if need be and helps colleagues and or is extremely good at what they are doing without being able to quantify what the person does. It's more comprehensive. And the fact that it comes oftentimes by surprise sends also is, I would say, more strongly motivating and it prevents these strategic behaviors ex ante to some extent Plus, it sends a spe- special signal. So the person, the, the principal or the manager deciding to hand out such an award was under no obligation to do so. Hence, if he or she decides to, that sends a strong signal about how much whatever the other, the recipient has done is being appreciated. Hmm. So if some tall, lanky, goofy guy uh, comes up to you on the street and gives you a gold star for having a really mm-hmm. awesome mustache um, out of nowhere and you weren't expecting that, you, that, might, <laughs> that, yeah. that might really motivate you to keep on grooming and twirling <laughs> and whatever. I uh, doubt it would, but in particular in my <laughs> case. But... Um, I mean, I, I give a person. I, yeah. I'm just hoping that's how my award system works, but maybe not. <laughs> For a massage to a woman? <laughs> no, no. For that, when I to a guy on a street, yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously. I see. And uh, <laughs> I mean, well, it could actually. It could be like a nice, um, but like a nice signal. But I would rather say that it is still important <laughs> that you perceive this award to be grounded on something that is worth that is worth um emphasizing right so you okay. want to the the sense of achievement again um has I think to be somehow just can be pretty spectacular well, yeah, i would not be able to judge that is probably true there's another point though i like your okay. example because it really it helped it um helps me illustrate some other important points which is that you also care about who's the audience and who's mm-hmm. the giver right? right so if this is a complete stranger i might well yeah i mean this happens right if you walk down the street and you essentially there's some form of positive interaction get a compliment or whatever and then you don't care so much because you don't know that person anyway and right so you're in your it doesn't matter but um if it was some person evaluating or an expert in the field, right, then you would care because you'd know that that person knows what he or she is talking, he most likely is talking about. Right. So there's some some degree, um, to some degree it matters whether the, the person or the, the, the jury, oftentimes it's juries, so you might walk around with your friends and trying to decide who has the best moustache. But uh, <laughs> um, where, where the competence of the jury or the award giver, the decision makers matters because that ultimately influences how strong of a signal of your abilities this will be. And then the audience, of course. If you're there with your friends and you get this award, Award, you might care more you might be even more motivated than if you're just by yourself and this is a complete stranger although even then it might matter well um 
Yeah, that makes it, a lot of times as a comedian, you're performing um, to an audience of say a few hundred people or something, but you'll you'll notice a couple comics in the back laughing especially hard at a given joke, mm-hmm. and uh, and that that two or three uh, the the laughs that you get from the two or three experts, you know, mm-hmm. in the room in the back mm-hmm. is a lot of times much more valuable oh, yeah. than what you're getting from the quantity. full audience. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. There's a, like a, almost like a quantity quality trade off in terms of who's the jury or mm-hmm. who's the juror. If the person knows what they are talking about and they tell you, give you this feedback in a sense, again, as I said, with monetary incentives, I think we oftentimes take this as a signal to tell us how good we are. And if this is coming from an expert, you have a pretty strong sense that that's a good, high quality feedback. And if that person thinks you're doing well, that means a lot, right? Rather than people who, well, you might still care about the general audience, but then it comes more from possibly more from the quantity. Hmm. So you may or may not have a answer for me uh, here, but I was curious, is there... Is there um, a, a big age difference? Do these do these incentives change over time? Like a lot of times, um, younger people want more kind of exciting uh, things, a little more excitement in their life. Where where the older you get, you're kind of looking a little more for maybe fulfillment, or mm-hmm. or or you uh, what what um, what a, a young person might find as boring uh mm-hmm. older person might find as relaxing mm-hmm. um and and so i i don't know if you've yeah been, and so i do have some thoughts on this without being able to tell you about specific research that has looked into it but um beyond age i mean there's something about marginal effects right so if i've done this a thousand times before and i've received positive feedback for a given activity and now it's just the next time that I do it the marginal effect in other words or this it's not not new for me so that's why you might and you see this being correlated with age because as I'm young I might do something that's more that something more sportive right and then I go into the next field because I've basically seen it in other words in colloquial terms right I've seen this and there's not much I can still discover so I then go and I will have achieved a specific income also at some point right and there are other concerns so um once you have this income you might be more you know um attuned or you you might be more motivated to do these so-called fulfilling things where you you're no longer under pressure to earn an income that could certainly explain why you seem to observe that pattern that that um, people change in what they what which incentive is most important for them just Mm. because they achieve that those levels at some point and and then family concerns come in but i i wouldn't be able to tell you about research on this right now i can tell you about That's okay. happiness you there there seems to be like a u shape that you there's a, a given mid age range when it tends to go down <laughs> and then you 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 uh, it starts to increase again as you get a little older and presumably wiser and you have different pref possibly di- different uh, things in life that you care about mm-hmm. but mm. um or you reorient your your perspective but yeah in terms of awards and in financial incentives it's an interesting question i haven't seen research on the on like specific age differences 
Um, you could also see how awards as reputational capital count in particular at an early stage in a person's career. If you use this as a status, status um, good and then status effects will kick in so that just because you've earned this award, you will, others will consider your, your work as even higher quality than they would otherwise, right? And the award might have been random and still because you have the signal, others will perceive you as more intelligent or more witty and your jokes are better because you have, you benefit from the status effect. So in that sense, I could see that awards in the beginning of a career, um, have this, this reinforcing dynamic that they, that they set, set in place, that they, that they trigger. That being said, once you have a long career to look back on and you get an award based on that past long period that people could evaluate you on, it might be more meaningful, right? It should be higher quality assessments because you have more data to observe on that person's trajectory. What about, uh, what are your thoughts on something like tenure uh, in terms of its uh, ability to motivate? Yeah, this is a strong motivator, clearly. Yeah. I think uh, tenure, I mean, um, I think I don't need an extrinsic incentive to do research as I, as I do it, right? And I right. think rather that it's liberating once you have tenure to do, I could see, I'm pretty sure actually, but it's not backed up that I become even more productive after tenure because you have this, this sense of freedom, mm. a stronger sense. I'm trying to not think too much of tenure, about tenure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so do you have anything as we, as we kind of start wrapping up, um, some, some little bits of advice, like one or two things that, that you wish that, uh, from your research that you just wish that everyone knew mm -hmm. that if, if they were to, um, uh, to start utilizing in their life either as uh, either in their personal life as an employee as an employer uh, any mm -hmm. anything mm -hmm. that, yes. that you yes. you just wish uh, everyone in the world knew about would make the world a better place potentially thank you yes uh, for giving me the platform no for sure first I should say um, encourage everybody to do experiments. So because of course, I can tell you what I've found so far based on the studies I've run, but then there are different organizational conditions based on the types of workers that are working in your firm, for example, that might change or the existing incentive structure that might change the effects of a given award scheme, for example. So it's important to run experiments in the field. And this is what I do running field experiments. So collaborating with organizations, different in the for-profit, but also non-profit um, sector in the public sector also on designing these experiments so that once you've implemented this new incentive scheme, you are actually able to tell how it influenced employees, the causal effect. Because just observing that the people who got the award continue to do better than the others won't help you to say it was the award that caused them to perform better. It could have also been that they actually decreased their performance compared to the counterfactual where they don't win the award. Now they feel like, oh, they've achieved their laurels, right? They lean back and they are still more productive than the others because that's why they were chosen for the award. Long story short, so first point being that it's important mm -hmm. to run these experiments, even at a small scale, to to form different treatment groups and a control group and randomize who ideally who, or there are different ways of doing this. You can do it at an individual level and there are different ways of doing it. I'm very happy to, if there is interest in, a, in an interesting organization, I collaborate with organizations constantly. That's what I do. 
um, and what I love doing on designing these field experiments so that you're actually able to tell what was the causal effect, what was the effect size, how long did it persist? Is it worth it? In other words, um, even non-financial incentives. That's the nice part about studying non-financial incentives that it's often really costless to to implement but it has to be designed well designed otherwise it won't work or it might even backfire right if you you're seen to be instrumentally trying to in a cheap way trying to influence people's behavior and make them do what you want without actually meaning to spend anything to signal strongly that you care about this it won't work so that so the first part the empirical really doing um research in the field and it's easier than one may think um, to, to oftentimes it's, I mean, there are other challenges, but once one has this recognition that it's not clear cut, that the effect has to be positive, that one should evaluate what one is doing, evaluate the policies that one implements or the incentives. That's really, that's a major step. Then, um, now learnings from my past research is the first one. It, when you look at in organizations, there seems to be the sense that you have to somehow add some money or something that's worth a lot to an award. Otherwise, it's, it won't be worth, worth, people won't really value it. So you see that even with non-financial awards, even with recognition, people all of a sudden start tying money to it or giving a huge gift present. And my research has shown in particular the study at Wikipedia, which is completely a non-financial incentive or no reward award, a non-financial award that even if this is purely symbolic, people res can respond strongly to this. And I would even go a step further as to say that tying money to these awards runs the risk of again inducing these social comparisons because now you have a number that you can compare to the other award and you know exactly, oh, my number is like half yours. So clearly that award must be worth less. Right. If you don't tie money to it, you can diversify the award scheme and people won't be able to directly put things that are not comparable into a rat race, right? So that's, so this part about not thinking, people shouldn't be thinking that they always have to give some kind of material gift or monetary gift that they tie to the award to make it worth, to make it worthwhile. If the award is well designed, as we were discussing it before, then it can have an even stronger effect. I would even say stronger when it's, when it comes without money, if it is well designed. So that's an important aspect. And then the, this other part about organizations where you always see these employees of the month and you put up these rankings. Um, I think there, these discretionary awards that are given also by surprise, but that are meaningful uh, and based on actually good performance are, very powerful and in particular they are a good complement to the other incentives that you have installed in the organization they allow you in other words to also fill these gaps that are left by the standard incentive scheme because you can't measure those activities um so well and so you can't define them so well ex ante well that's wonderful i uh every everyone uh i mean it is nice to know that we can motivate ourselves by uh a lot of other methods other than just money because money can be very limiting and very frustrating and especially companies only have so much some jobs can only pay so much and and to know that there's other incentives out there is is uh relieving um so i have each guest each week uh kind of plug a non-profit of their choice mention a non-profit of their choice do you have one in mind uh yes sure since i've been talking about wikipedia i would name the wikimedia foundation <laughs> that's perfect 
Well, thank you, Yana, for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people. We will talk with you next week. Next week on the podcast, again, one of those uh, areas of research that I think is incredibly important and life-changing, and I wish everyone in the world knew a little bit about this stuff. We're going to be talking about happiness and time. I'm sitting down with Professor Cassie Mobley-Holmes at the UCLA School of Business to, to discuss. She does a lot of research uh, kind of priming people to think about either money or time and then seeing how that changes their behavior and how that changes their um, uh, amount of pleasure and enjoyment that they got out of uh, um, a given experience. So super important stuff. Uh, I, I want to thank all of you that have taken the time and donated a little money to the podcast on Patreon. Supporting the Here We Are podcast on Patreon has been uh, really helpful. Any little bit helps. Since the Good Trip Tour ended last summer, I've been focusing on a bunch of other big projects like my documentary, which is finished, and some other things that um, that are potentially going to be uh, <laughs> huge and awesome and really good for me. But until then, our, uh, have, I have had uh, very little income <laughs> coming in um, because I haven't been doing as much stand-up as usual, which I'm going to be start, starting to tour again, so check my website for that. But the, the Patreon support is, uh, is really important and very much appreciated. It allows me to spend more time um, and money on this podcast. So, uh, so I appreciate that. Also, uh, thank you to Jimmy Fro, who has improved the audio on this podcast tremendously. Get wonderfully positive comments all the time. You can check out the Jimmy Fro podcast to hear more indie music. The new happening indie music out there. Uh, the outro music this week is by Liv Caro. And also check out the Laughable app. And support uh, RameenNazer.com has a new project out there on Kickstarter to put out yet another uh, book of some of his amazing art. So check him out. And again, Laughable app, and you'll be able to, when you subscribe to me, you'll be able to hear me on, say, my new episode of Pete Holmes, You Made It Weird. It'll pop right up in your feed. So um, so thank you guys, and those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are, of course, my favorites, and we'll talk to you next week. Make static in this whitewashed backwater There's oil in the well, but it don't come off Run, go, tell Run, go, tell Let's say uh, Seinfeld was on an island and he was blowing Boris Karloff. What would it, What would that be like? <laughs> it might go... 
something like this. Oh, Mr. Koff, I loved you and Frankenstein, and I love giving you a blowjob. Why, Mr. Seinfeld, I'd love having you fuck. 